watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we have three movies for you. Avengers Endgame, JT Leroy, and Hail Satan. And as always, we're going <laughs> to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consumer moderation means it's kind of meh, and send it back means... Life is too short for that mess, question mark? Guys, to be clear, Hail Satan does have a question mark at the end of its title, which is why the uptick in Rebecca's inflection there. Mm -hmm. Hail Satan (laughs) is the correct way of pronouncing the title of that film. Thank you for for, um, pointing out that I wasn't editorializing with my question. Just wanted to affirm your choice. Thank you, (laughs) as you always do. Jason... Uh, what is up with you? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, well, uh, we missed last week's episode um, because on a serious note, uh, sadly, my father-in-law, uh, whose name is Dick Ward, passed away this past week. Uh, so uh, Scott and I flew back to see his family back in the Salt Lake area in Utah. And uh, so we were there for almost a full week, just spending a lot of time with his family um uh dick is survived by his wife joan scott's sister cindy her husband tim her three kids brandon braxton brianna uh and three huge dogs uh it's really Mm. quite a lively household uh so yeah so we just spent a good solid week with his family and i was you know we were both you know felt lucky to be able to take off work and just go and do that and uh so yeah so as a result uh (laughs) as a result we we did not do last week's episode on which we were planning on reviewing um, Her Smell, Wild Nights with Emily, and Little Woods, only one of which I've seen. Uh, which her, one? Her Smell, mm-hmm. uh, which I actually watched a second time last night. I'm a big fan of that movie. Wow. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's what's been up with me. Um, and, uh, you know, and those of you who have already known and have reached out and expressed your, your concern, thanks very much on behalf of myself and Scott. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the first time that either of us have lost a parent Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and that's a huge milestone in anyone's life and it's a huge milestone in a relationship. Um, so, uh, but you know, uh, we both have a lot of, uh, you know, fond memories of, of the time we got to spend together with his dad over the years. And of course, um, you know, Scott going back to his childhood. And so these are things that happen. And uh, and it's it's still pretty fresh um, as we're taping this. It's just been about a week and a half since he passed. Um, but uh, but you know, uh, and and let me tell you, <clears throat> the day after we got back from um, from being with his family, we went to go see our first movie this week, Avengers Endgame. And boy, oh boy, did that just rub a few wounds right rack right, raw again. Right. Uh, so it was like, come on, movie, just yeah. cut us some slack. We are going through it already, and you're just throwing it back in our face. Um, but uh, but we can't pretend that we didn't know that there was a good chance going into Endgame that some of that stuff would come up again. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. So that's what's up with me, Rebecca. What is up with you? Um, well, uh, sending you know uh, warm healing thoughts to you and and Scott Thank and you. and his family and yours. Um, uh, what is up with me? Um, I also saw one of the movies from last week, which was Wild Nights with Emily. Mm. Um, I feel like it, it's one of the movies that might we might just wait until it comes out for rent uh, or on Netflix to to talk about. Um, because you you want to talk about? You I wanna, do want to talk you about do it. Do a full episode review? I kind of do. Ooh. It's really good, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and I can't imagine it's going to have a long theater life. Um, I think it was showing at Embarcadero Theater here, yeah. and and it'll probably kind of close that out if it hasn't been already, and then be a, be yeah. in uh, a rental. So maybe let's put a little uh, sure. dog mark, earmark, dog ear. Put a there pin it in is. That. Put a pin in that. My understanding is that sort of a comedic queer take on the life of Emily Dickinson. Is that accurate? It is right. And um, Molly Shannon plays her. Yes. So. <laughs> And your face just told me everything I need to know exactly. about, about how good Molly Shannon is in this movie. It reminded me a little bit of The Little Hours. Oh, um, good. In a way that we it like, takes a period of time where you're expecting a certain kind of dialogue and, and etiquette and, and is kind of irreverent about that. 
and Molly Shannon is hilarious. This movie is just so funny. We'll we'll talk about it at yeah. a later date. But all right, um, all right. well, so, I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, is there anything that you want to say about her smell? Um, oh well, <clears throat> while we're here, because this is still going to be in theaters for a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. Her smell. Uh, it is. Um, it it is it is loosely well not it's in no official way inspired by the life of Courtney Love, but you can't help but be reminded of mm. her when you're watching it. Um, it is um, it is this sort of sprawling f- five act, very intense psychodrama about a woman named Becky something who is the mercurial front woman of a 90s uh, rock band called Something She. And uh, and the movie essentially through five acts traces her uh, sort of fall and um, and resurrection. Uh, she is, uh, yeah, she, she's sort of, she's a very unstable individual, but she's very charismatic. She's a star. Um, and, uh, and we just sort of witness her and all the people in her orbit uh, as she is uh, just sort of being absolute nightmare hell to be around. Mm. Um, and she has a young daughter. And, uh, and, and so the first three acts are sort of her on the way down. Um, each one, each act kind of being more hard to watch than the last. Uh, I should note that Becky something is played by Elizabeth Moss uh, Mm -hmm. in what is just another gem in her crown. Uh, She is unbelievable. She can do, there's nothing she can't do. Except drop Scientology. Except drop Scientology. Uh, Aside from that, there's nothing she can't do. And uh, and this is just a performance you never thought that she'd be capable of giving. She generally plays much more subdued, nuanced kind Mm. of characters. And the character is still very nuanced, but it's a huge personality. And you have to and she is you you feel very uncomfortable and very scared watching her in this movie. Um, And then it sort of follows, you know, once she hits rock bottom, then she kind of starts to try to find her way back up. And it's showing her sort of like long road to try to you know make peace with herself and those around her for all the things that she's done so um yeah it has a great cast surrounding her too we have agnes den we have dan stevens eric stoltz cara delavine oh, wow. um, virginia madsen uh and it's written and directed by alex ross perry uh who also worked mm. uh, with elizabeth moss in queen of earth and uh, listen up philip so uh yeah it's a real um it's I think whenever I saw it at TIFF last year, ding, I tweeted something along the lines of like, this is definitely not for everyone, but boy, is it for me <laughs> because, you know, it's it's just a mix of, you know, of like 90s girl rock and just seething, scathing, searing female psychodrama. Mm, that is you. That is me. Yeah. No, it has my number. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was a huge fan of her smell, um, <laughs> which is a title Rebecca does not enjoy. I don't like it. I, just, I don't know what to tell you. I don't like it. For what it's worth, it took me until the second time watching it to realize I think it's actually meant to be about her, like, about her daughter, about her, like, young daughter. Is you're like worse? You're... <laughs> no, in that, like, oh, baby smell. Like, and not in a bad smell. It's not like, shitty diaper. Uh, <laughs> it's meant to be, like. Oh, I see. It's sort of, you know, because her daughter is sort of, you know, her, like, you know, moral true north or whatever mm. that kind of helps to tr- pull her out of herself. Mm-hmm. Anywho, this, um, so the the comparisons to Vox Lux um, have been written about. I haven't read those things. Sure, uh, but even in your your description here, you know, begs the question of like, what's the difference between this and Vox Lux? Because there's also this sort of like act divided mm-hmm. into acts and kind of following someone's right. Well, slow descent into i mean vox lux is much more of just sort of like a big picture allegory about um about the 21st century mm. um whereas her smell really is a character study mm. like in vox lux the character of celeste natalie portman's character is very much like the protagonist of an allegory in the sense that there's not as much like she feels like a figure out of a carry out of a fairy tale in a way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whereas becky something in uh in her smell is a much more like flesh and blood psychological study mm. it's almost she's almost like a jenna rollins john cassavetti's heroine like she's like very much blood and guts I mean, I guess so, the, the difference is even reflected in the names of the movies right where like vox lux is this well, like concept of uh mm-hmm. um of of not a person and right. her smell couldn't be any uh any more corporal yeah yeah no exactly or disgusting yeah <laughs> right yes and turn turns the stomach uh, <laughs> if you're if you're rebecca 
Uh, okay, well, that was a so maybe we yeah, talked about a couple of movies, little, little movie roundup to make up for some lost time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're also going to be missing next week, mm. um, but we should be back the week after. So, but in the meantime, we're here to talk about the biggest movie of the year. So let's do it. Avengers Endgame. Rebecca saw it. <laughs> <laughs> Adrift in space with no food or water, Tony Stark sends a message to Pepper Potts as his oxygen supply starts to dwindle. Meanwhile, the remaining Avengers, Thor, Black Widow, Captain America, and Bruce Banner, must figure out a way to bring back their vanquished allies for an epic showdown with Thanos, the evil demigod who decimated the planet and the universe. Okay, so j- off offline, Jason and I just pinged in, in real life. <laughs> oh, we just ding-donged. Ding-donged about uh, the, the amount of spoilers we're going to give. And we're not going to say the big things that happen, but if you are particularly sensitive to these things, if you're a nerd... Um, right. You might want to skip this because we're going to talk about some things like some haircuts sure. um, yeah. and some characters. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you you should know better, um, frankly. If you are a super nerd who's hyper nervous about spoilers, you should know better than to listen or read a review. Right. You should so just you shouldn't even be here and go see it yourself. See your way out. If you didn't see the first weekend, although I don't even know how big of a fan you are, frankly. Right. It was showing in 10 screens when I went to yeah. go see it Thursday at like six o'clock. Well, that's part of how, guys, as we're taping it, we're taping it the Sunday of opening weekend. Um, so the box office records are already in. They're already broken. And part of why part of why it was on so many screens, I think, in addition to just you know supply and demand, is because the fact that it is three hours long, that mm. cuts down on the number of uh, showings they can have on one screen. That makes sense. So they kind of had to make up for it by just like t- taking out entire theaters. Yeah. But clearly there were people who wanted to fill every theater uh, that was reserved for screenings of this movie. So it's not like it was for naught. When I went to go see it at, again, like 640, um, I didn't realize that they had had so many screens and I, I was at a mall and um, I... <laughs> We saw all the people walking into the mall. Like, it was so packed for a mall on, like, a Thursday in the afternoon. And everyone was wearing their little Marvel shirts and little Captain America hats. And I was like, there is... Like, I bought my ticket, but, like, there is no way all these people are going to fit in that theater. Like, what <laughs> is going on? What What is happening? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I came came to see the, the screens. Uh, but um, Did you technically see the first ticketed screening of it? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think they were starting earlier in the day. Okay. They, they kind of blew past the whole like opens out a Friday thing, right? Yeah, they're kind of gradually just bumping up that uh, that, that 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 start line. Yeah, um, earlier and earlier. Uh, before we get too much in the movie, let's touch down on your personal journey with Marvel because <laughs> this is this is the trajectory that our listeners have witnessed firsthand. <laughs> They've had a front row seat to Rebecca mm-hmm. gradually warming to mm-hmm. the Marvel universe, the MCU, to the point that she, on her own, mm-hmm. of her own volition went out and bought a ticket to go see this movie on its opening day mm-hmm. which as we noted is lit- is the day before the actual opening day it was on the thursday she went and saw it on her own uh and this is something that probably even a year ago would have been unthinkable unthinkable well a year ago i don't know yeah. it depends on when there's a right. there's a very distinct moment in 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 this timeline um and you if you imagine me standing grumpy faced arms crossed and walking into uh thor ragnarok <laughs> uh you know in my mind doing one of those Jason why do we have to see all the movies just because it comes out can right. we like start off just like, like weeding out some of these movies and, and cause we're not going to like them mm-hmm. cut to me four minutes into Thor Ragnarok when he's like hanging from that <laughs> chain like waiting to swing around and I'm like what is this this is hilarious <laughs> uh-huh. what's happening this is fun right. um, just uh, you know my I think the last superhero movie I'd seen were the, the Batmans Christopher Nolan Batmans that was exhausting, and um, and then you know hearing about Avengers and Iron Man and uh, uh, Captain America, just the the concept of it didn't seem very interesting. I didn't think it was going to have a lot of things that that I would like. And I actually just saw Iron Man the first one for the first time yesterday, and I think if I had watched it at the time, I would have stopped it halfway through and been like. You know, like in context, you see him go from being a, an asshole yeah. um, to to being and his arc changes and it, it makes it mm. interesting. But at the time, if I would have seen it just at face value and been like, I have no time for this right. douchebag um, superhero and yeah. I, I wouldn't have been ready for it. So I feel like the way it worked out, worked out very well because now I can go back and revisit. I watched it yesterday and um, and I'm like, OK, this is terrible, but this is context for mm-hmm. the whole thing. Right. And uh, and I think it made me appreciate it in a way I, I never would have been able to before. Um 
So I think Thor Ragnarok and the Guardians of the Galaxy, um, which again, like I just had so much judgment about the whole thing um, and just seeing how charming it is and how sweet and how, uh, you know, we've talked about these movies having very complicated uh, morals that people have to deal with and, and very conflicting. You know, I recently saw Civil War. Oh, yeah. Wow. That was that was that was the big one. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Um very complicated uh, uh issues that there you know are no right answers to sometimes and, and seeing people struggle mm-hmm. with those. Moral ethical quagmires. The fact that they address the um the collateral damage that mm-hmm. their existence um you know uh causes mm-hmm. is was was great. Um and so, you know, I saw those. I I then I was introduced to Doctor Strange, which is a very like you know, there's like a little something for everyone, right? And then mm-hmm. and then and of it, course Black Panther, and of course Black Panther, and and so those kind of made up an, enough of a base for me to want to go back and and know what the story, what the story was going to be, and how it was forming because there were enough characters and stories that I was bought into and really have an affinity for mm. um, that here I am. Um, an affinity for Infinity War. <laughs> <laughs> the Affinity Stones um, <laughs> is what I'm calling my engagement exactly. ring. She got Affinity Stoned <laughs> and uh, went to go see it. So uh, now I'm uh, now I'm all caught up and it's over. Cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, just under the buzzer. Uh, that's the important <laughs> thing. Rebecca looks to up to parties just as the lights are being turned on. I just caught up uh, with Game of Thrones uh, oh, as right. well. Um, sure. Sort of. I, by that I mean I watched the first episode of the last season and then watched all of the Jan- Jonathan Van Ness Game of Thrones <laughs> recaps to fill in the gaps. And that's really all you need. Now I'm now I'm ready for tonight's episode. Fantastic. Which is supposed to yeah. be a hell of a one. Yeah, guys, as we're taping this, we do not yet know what happens on the third episode of season eight of Game of Thrones, the big battle. So, Based on the second one, yeah, can't oh, be good. Oof. Um, so well, out of all the, the funny thing to me about Endgame in terms of like which of the Marvel movies that came before it really came to play, came to factor in a major way. Um, and I should note that my having, you know, I've watched all these movies, but I'm by no means like a stand for them. Like mm. I'm a fan, but I'm not like, I'm not on Reddit reading stuff. Like mm. I don't, I don't, I don't keep up with fan theories. I don't do any of that stuff. So I don't engage on the internet about these movies. Um, so I was very surprised how much of a role Ant-Man and the Wasp right? wound up having. Uh, yeah. Like It was like the most pivotal movie in the entire Marvel Universe for Endgame, aside from Infinity War. Yeah. I think that that was an interesting thing about this movie is that that uh, Ant-Man and Ant-Man technology mm-hmm. and, uh, and Nebula And Nebula, yeah. Nebula was a massive character. Pivotal uh characters and and in what happens and Mm -hmm. it that was kind of it was kind of neat because it was about you know it's not necessarily about what captain america does or things because we kind of know how that's gonna go um but it ended up being about like her unresolved issues with her family Mm -hmm. um and and that put everything in peril um yeah and i think this is what gets to this gets to what i think is so remarkable about um about endgame is and you know to an extent also about infinity war before it which we reviewed at the time um the filmmakers uh and the russo brothers of cleveland's own um and the screenwriters have such mastery in terms of their knowledge of the entire universe and all of its parts Mm -hmm. that and they are so confident um, and their ability to tell a story that synthesizes all the different parts of it. This movie does not sweat. This movie does not strain itself. Mm-hmm. Like, no movie in history has attempted to do more than Endgame does. I feel like that's just a thing that I can say and think that's true. Uh, and at no point does the movie let you see it sweat. No. Like, it is... It is just in relaxed, confident control of its storytelling, of all the different universes it's juggling, of the many different characters it's juggling, of the stakes, of the fan anticipation, all that stuff, and just lets it all go. And just go. it just proceeds to tell you this three-hour-plus story um, that I think certainly did not feel like three hours. No, not at all. Um, and, and, it, and it starts off after a very, after a very surprising prologue. Um, suddenly it becomes the leftovers <laughs> yeah yeah uh and the, about the first hour or so of the movie is just really kind of relaxed character building just a lot of like they give you there's so much breathing room to all these dialogue driven scenes between the different surviving characters mm-hmm. 
Um, like there's no rush to it. No. They, they and thank God for that because it felt like they were just like just rushing to slap them all back together and send them all back out. Like we know what we're here to do. Like we know where this is going to go in in the big picture sense. Like we know this they're all going to come back together and they're going to you know do something to do something. Um, but. And the movie almost seems to have a sense of humor about that, like mm, about mm-hmm. even when they get to the framework through which they come up with their plan to undo the damage that was done by the snap at the end of Infinity War. Um, it seems to have like a joke about it. They're like, well, it's not time travel, but well, it, it's time travel. Right. Uh, you know, like, it's, <laughs> like it jokes, like it knows it's silly. It knows that's a silly thing. Um, and the movie itself has like generally had a high, you know, a fairly decent intelligence about it mm-hmm. so they like kind of wink with it, like yeah i know time travel when were you gonna do right and uh, then they go through <laughs> listing all those movies oh, i think yeah. I, I had a similar concern with with so many uh loose ends to tie up i was afraid there wouldn't be time for the humor that mm. i really come to to need from these movies yeah um and there there are periods of there's a you know, a explanation by thor about uh, his stone and that just goes on rambling mm-hmm. um and that it fits that in mm-hmm. um without a need to feel rushed is 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 because there's so much to handle you can right. see exactly you know what you're saying um and even you know the, the amount of time that spans before mm-hmm. things kind of get moving again um like the banal like tasks that they're doing in the meantime um and even even the kind of the two opening one that you've seen if you've seen the trailer which is tony stark just kind of saying his goodbyes on on this planet Mm -hmm. is very slow you know it makes you feel that like what it feels like to be lost in space and and not having a sense of time right and then this gravity 2.0 exactly but that could that's something that doesn't can't feel rushed right Mm -hmm. and um and then the other scene where you kind of see um, someone else's view of the uh, the happening is that right. what it's called leftovers uh, is also oh, done right. very like it, with enough time to make you forget what could possibly be happening I think mm-hmm. um, and yeah so that is a really uh, really good point Jason and I, I feel like I also don't read fan theories or, yeah. or read the comic books but I would watch like a documentary about how you how the Russo brothers and the writers and is it, it Paul Fig is the uh, no what's his name Kevin Kevin Feig. Kevin Feig, the other Feig. Yes. <laughs> uh, what that vision looks like, what it looks like to see the end goal and to pick out the points in the different stories that, that will mm-hmm. get you there and will right. still be entertaining uh, without being distracted by a kind of a, lo- like a loose thing that doesn't go anywhere. And it's just like maintaining that vision, I think that is what allows that to happen. I would, I would be interested in, in knowing how you plan that i can't mm. even get a work project where i'm like i don't know what's gonna happen next right now i'm doing this other project exactly. i didn't think i could do this without that and now here yeah, i am you see me go grocery shopping it's a disaster <laughs> complete disaster what kind of chili powder there were casualties <laughs> uh, yeah yeah no i mean i yeah i'm curious about all those things as well um and you mentioned this movie has part of what makes it feel again like such an elevation of the form is that kind of intimacy um that mm-hmm. it's not just like non-stop pomp and circumstance shock and awe grandeur from beginning to end it actually both begins and ends on moments of such disarming simple humanity mm-hmm. um it has a cold open um mm-hmm. that is just a family in a field mm-hmm. and to the point where i was like is this the movie right yeah me uh, too i was yeah. like oh, it's like a, it's a trailer I don't, is yeah this a- and and then yeah and then also the the shot that it ends on yeah. Uh, is yeah, just 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 tender, gentle humanity, which is you know, in both of those cases, it's just a great reminder of the actual stakes of what humanity is, what humanity means, and what is lost when humanity is threatened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it does a great a great job in that. Um, another thing it does a great job of is spotlighting uh, Chris Evans' ass. <laughs> a funny thing. So I was throughout the movie, I was starting to notice it. <laughs> I'm- I, I was just sitting there thinking, oh, my God, that ass in a way that I had never really like. Obviously, I'm aware he's a good looking man, um, but I never spent a whole lot of time looking at his butt in these movies. And then throughout the movie, I was like, are they lighting that thing differently? Because <laughs> it is just popping. And then suddenly in the movie, they start talking about his ass. They do. I was like, did I manifest this? Could they hear my thoughts? Because before you know it, Iron Man's making a crack about his ass. And I'm like, what? 
<laughs> and then you know and that comes full circle uh you know in a very kind of surprising way yes <laughs> uh with like the ultimate meta reference to his ass uh that was i was i was like all right well i'll take it yeah uh, i am tickled i i'm enjoying that um maybe because you weren't looking at um chris Hemsworth as much yeah yeah um as anyone who's seen the movie knows uh, Chris Hemsworth as Thor takes a turn for the Lebowski uh, <laughs> in this movie, and it's very surprising and kind of funny. And he never comes out of it. No, I thought I thought about you the whole time. I was like, I hope for yeah. Jason's sake he comes out of it and has like a transformation. He I doesn't, know. and I appreciate that. He, he does not. No, I mean, yeah, he. I was like, yeah, I, I was, I was thrown by that. I was, you know, and I was, I was tickled, mm-hmm. and I was wondering. I was like waiting to see. I'm like, are people going to be angry about this? Are you going to be angry about this? Well, no, not me. I mean, are people who are like, that <laughs> sure. suits, boo! You know, like, right. are they going to be cranky and sensitive about this? I, and I haven't really seen anyone talking about Mm-mm. it. Um, so it's like a shallow hal situation. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, uh, it was, it's, yeah, Chris Hemsworth really goes for it um, in terms of embracing his, uh, his, it's a very Amy Sedaris-esque. It's like that, <laughs> it's like David Sedaris' story about Amy Sedaris wearing fat suits when Fury hurt their father. Uh, that's kind of, that's like the level of like comedy grotesquery that Chris Hemsworth <laughs> just revels in in this movie. Especially because he just knows he's just still shredded the whole time underneath. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, how dare you? The whole time. The whole time. How dare you? Uh, so there's that. And oh, on, the, on the subject of aesthetically displeasing transformations, <laughs> there is a flash forward in time in this movie <laughs> after the prologue. And over the course of that flash forward, two characters undergo startling and decidedly negative hair transformations. <laughs> and those characters are... Captain Marvel. And... Black Widow. Yes. Boy, Captain oh boy. Marvel, man. Oof. That those were those were tough. I I felt like I felt that moment of like you're making lesbians look bad. Mm-hmm. Right. Dash, uh, is this is this cause she still thinks she's in the nineties? Yeah. It was like a when when like you got like the short Jennifer Aniston hair. But it even, wasn't even that. I mean, it was just like, like a Sean Colvin. It was like a yeah. I mean, it was kind of like a, even Ellen uh, never really had that exact. It, it was just like a. It was almost like a Kate Gosselin. Yeah, it's a little like it, a, it was like a. Let me speak to the manager. Manager, yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of yeah. And that was you know, and then as her Black Widow, it just seemed like she really like lapsed into her innate Russianness uh, <laughs> in the intervening period of time, and she just like just like let her yeah, she just like fully embraced her Russianness mm-hmm. and just like winds up winds up with this very tacky ombre like mm-hmm. purple and blonde hair. It's very upsetting to look at, or I guess I guess more maroon and blonde. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Not cute by any stretch. Um, yeah, the two the two characters that go through a terrible physical transformation are actually Captain Marvel and yes, yes, those are the real ones. Not not, yeah, not no. what they Thor, would lead you to believe. For Thor, it's charming. For, <laughs> for Thor, Thor, it's, it's charming, <sighs> and for Bruce Banner, it's yeah. Makes sense. Speaking of Captain Marvel, I don't know about you, but I was surprised how little she was actually in the movie. What <laughs> the fuck does she do? I I'm so con- I yeah. I don't. The only thing I've come up with what? is that this was always meant to be about the Avengers, and she's just not an Avenger. So this is always meant to be... I mean, Nick be... Fury would make you think she's an Avenger. Yeah, yeah. It, like, you, it's literally the thing that the movie is based on. Uh, the end of Infinity War. The, it's... Right, the post credit scene. All leading up to this. Mm-hmm. And, like, the only thing she actually did to make things happen the way that they should is kind of what she does at the beginning, which is right. uh, assist Iron Man. Right, and then she, you know, has a kind of a, you know, does some some key things in the final battle. But not even that key. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, like, yeah, I was, it was not as much as I was thinking she was going to do. She, I, that was so disappointing. Yeah. This idea of, built, like, her being built up as this, like. I know, like, she's the Thanos Slayer. She's going to be the one to take him on. Can we do a spoiler thing here? I feel like we've already getting into this territory that's, like, a little questionable. So I'm just going to go with, go ahead with it. How come Thanos without the glove can't be defeated by Captain Marvel and Iron Man and Captain America and, uh, who was the other one there? Uh, Thor. America. Oh, yeah. Like, Captain, they were all fighting yeah. him without his glove. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that I found Captain yeah, Marvel's I mean, uh, lack of showing up to be the one of the, the most disappointing thing about the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, Thanos is not human. You know, Thanos is, is you know, is is the, you know, sort of this, this super creature. And, um, and of course, like, they also, they have, you know, superpowers. Um, but, you know, he, he's much bigger than them. He's much stronger than they are. And mm. so it just takes a lot to take him down. Hmm. 
um, that, you know, that's what I would think. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, I was really, I thought that she was going to, because when she first shows up in the beginning of the movie, it's in a very badass way. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh shit, here we go. And then even when she finally does like take on Thanos in the final battle, like Brie Larson plays it in a very steely, like you're like, oh, you look in her eyes and you're like, oh, she's going to kill him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like more than any of the rest of them. Like yeah. Brie Larson's war face is considerable. Yeah. Like when she puts her game face on, you're like, oh fuck, stand back. Like she's going to fucking lay him out. She's terrifying. Yeah. Um, it's remarkable. Um, but she doesn't. So, and she winds up getting like swat away eventually, like the rest what? of them. Um, so it's like, oh, all right. Um, that is bizarre. That's not what I was led to believe was going to happen. So yeah, I, I was, I was puzzled by that. I feel like they, that to me feels like an oversight in like the Kevin Fig world mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. like, of communic of messaging and juggling a lot of different characters because you know, just the timing, like you pointed out, like end of Infinity war, like the showing her being activated by Nick Fury as he's dusted and then having the timing of her origin movie come mm-hmm, out mm-hmm. leading directly into this movie. And, you know, it was really just leading us to believe that she was like going to be like the slayer, um, you know, to use Buffy terminology going mm-hmm. into this and she's not. Yeah. So that was a letdown. Another character who vanished that I was really pissed off about was Danai Guerrero's character from Black Panther mm-hmm. because she was she was right there with the rest of them at the end of Infinity War. And she is an amazing character. And aside from like showing up in a hologram conference call uh, <laughs> uh, toward the toward the beginning of the um, flash forward, you don't see her again till the very end. I mean, and okay, it, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, um, that one I get. I mean, she's not an Avenger. Well, now and... it's Captain Marvel. Yeah, he, yeah, she is. I mean, she's friends with Nick Fury. That makes her an Avenger. No, like there's like the there's there's like there's you know like the, the Avengers are like a, a finite team. Of so... which Captain Marvel is a part. I don't think she's a, is she officially an Avenger? Like, like, does she pay dues? <laughs> <laughs> is she, is she, I'm does she have access to the special clubhouse? Fairly certain. I don't know. I mean, cause like, she's not when at the end of the movie, when they like give the special treatment to the official Avengers, she's not in them. I mm-hmm. don't think like the Avengers are the Avengers. Um, at least like the, the minted canonized Avengers going into this movie. She is not part of them. <laughs> Rebecca is looking things looking up. It up. Of course. Yeah, it is Captain Marvel and Avenger. Uh, um, Mrs. Marvel. Because like, does she? Is at the end of, at the end of Captain America? Does she get or at, at the end of Captain Marvel? Does she get like invited to join them? Because I mean, we definitely we do see her like up in the clubhouse with them um, at various points. <sighs> this is this research is getting me nowhere. <laughs> um, so if there's no direct answer. Then that must be a subject of of, of contention. Yeah, I mean, it says that uh, she's the highest ranked female character on the list of top 50 Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, she's labeled as quite possibly Marvel's mightiest Avenger. Right. So she's an Avenger. Okay. Well, for the purposes of this movie, she's not. Uh, and, you know, she's off, you know, doing, tending to her things elsewhere in the universe. And she kind of acknowledges that um, when she first debuts her terrible new hair right before vanishing until the <laughs> final act of the movie. So, um, you know, I think, you know, for this movie, the Avengers are a set in stone mix of people that were the same from the first movie. So I feel like you know, this movie has a certain top tier of Avenger yeah, that was yes. introduced and minted and canonized in the first movie. And those are the characters it's the most preoccupied with. Um, and then by the end of this movie, you know, there's been a lot of movement in that group. And there's like different other people who've now been called up um, right. to sort of like take their place or that kind of thing. Um, and I think Captain Marvel going forward is going to be like a pivotal character but I think yeah. in this one she's kind of a sec- she's second tier I think that in yeah in terms of what this movie means for sunsetting a group of characters mm-hmm. um, it makes sense that she wasn't that big of a part of it right it just didn't match up with the expectations mm-hmm. that were set for us by all the things we had, you had already mentioned yeah um, yeah I mean at the, at the end of the day you knew which characters it was going to be about because you knew mm-hmm. how this falls in the timeline of their um, contracts. And <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a challenge watching these movies is to have like the sense of stakes when you're like, well, I know that this is going to happen. Yeah. And I know this movie is coming out or this TV show is coming out. Exactly. That Those were like the spoilers that I could have done without it, knowing that like, uh, um, it's going to have a Disney plus original he, series. Thank you for being the only person uh, in my household that calls him by his name because all I ever call him is Jeremy Renner's character <laughs> which makes me feel like he shouldn't be an Avenger right I know well I mean he's definitely unremarkable oh 
Um, I was laughing when they had the, the callback to the moment at the end of Avengers uh, 1, whenever they first assemble, and there was that, that circular shot of them all, like, getting ready to fight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and like, they all are, like, summoning their powers. But then like, there's the two, like, rinky-dink ones of, like, <laughs> Hawkeye pulling an arrow into a quiver and just be like, mm. <laughs> And then Black Widow just, like, loading, like, a round of ammunition into a gun, which to me <laughs> makes me think of the X-Men episode of Family Guy. Where Meg's talents that she can grow her fingernails <laughs> yes. really fast, and she yes. cuts to her. She's like holds her hands out. And you just hear is like, <laughs> and it's just like, shut up, Meg. Black Widow is the Meg. She really is. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I guess we could have all seen that coming. Yeah. Yeah. Those two, I don't understand how they make it in. They're like the two that are like around. You're like, how did you make it in here in the first place? But now it's right. too late to to get you out of I here. Know. And apparently, Black Widow's forthcoming movie is a prequel. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Of course. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. So, which, uh, yeah, there's, you know, we'll, yeah. <laughs> so we'll just steer away from that topic for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Jeremy Renner looks like uh, a lesbian in this movie. <laughs> More so than you think normally? Yeah. He looks very puffy. <laughs> so that's what you define as lesbian-like? You know, it's like that whole thing where it's like, that's website that was like old men that look like lesbians. Oh, sure, right. It's just, it's just like, a certain puffy jolliness. Yeah, uh-huh. or a certain just sort of like he's way too young to be at that stage. But like his, like he's his, there. Like, like his like hormone levels are kind of off. That's exactly what it is. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I you don't see that. see that with Robert Downey Jr. Um, no, no. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. always looks very sallow mm-hmm. in these movies. But yeah. Jeremy Renner does have a certain odd shape to various parts of his face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, just the technology they use for making the people de-aging. look, yeah, that's nuts. Right. I well, mean, I know there's a lot of source material to work with with yes. michael douglas but i know still it's, amazing well it makes me think of like the whole thing with like the new this new phenomenon of deep faking oh well yeah uh <laughs> so it's just like well what isn't possible oh my god who from this cast actually even showed up to film for this so that's what um my my girlfriend was saying that she felt like a lot of the scenes seemed like they were reading it without anybody else in the room Oh yeah, sure. Did you feel Arrested that way? Arrested Development season four style. <laughs> yes, they're all <laughs> they're edited back yeah, together. They were all talking to tennis balls. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I felt like I felt like a lot. You know, I think I felt like a lot of scenes were shot together. I guess in terms of like the group scenes. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't presume that the entire cast was on hand the entire time. The main th- question I had was whether Natalie Portman actually showed up just to tape a five-minute scene, or a five-second scene, rather. Of her sleeping? Of her, like, waking up from a nap, getting out of bed, and walking across the room, not speaking, not engaging with any other character. Was um, that from? That wasn't cut from. I feel like that was, like, just B-roll from Thor The Ooh, Dark World. I feel like they just been. used that, because I can't imagine. I mean, she came. She went to the premiere of Endgame, so, mm. um, but I can't imagine that she showed up just to tape that. Like, do you bring back Natalie Portman just to film her walking wordlessly across the room? Um, and also de-age her in the process because she looked like Not worth it. 2011 Natalie Portman. Yeah. Um, but the important thing are some people they do bring back, such as Renee Russo <laughs> and Tilda Swinton. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. The, what are you most excited for to happen next in the MCU? Well, there's another Spider-Man movie coming out this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited for that because uh, I was a big fan of Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, I guess that's the thing I'm most excited for next. Um, you know, I'll be curious to see what they do with the Black Widow movie, but in terms of like what's up next, it's Spider-Man and, um, you know, and I will say, oh, did you, did you cry during this movie at all? Uh, a little bit. Yes. Okay. Uh Um, I, I I can say what I cried at because it wasn't really any sort of big spoiler. Um, but so, you know, the, the part that was the most shattering at the end of Infinity War was Peter Parker's reaction as he's being dusted. Mm, mm-hmm. And um, and we know that that haunts Tony Stark throughout this movie. And so whenever the moment comes, finally, in the, in the, uh, at the end, whenever people who've been dusted now return, um, when to- when Peter Parker just comes mm. like running up to Tony and just starts like babbling exuberantly <laughs> about what's going on, just like just the way it hits Tony that like here's this like here's this annoying little twit he's back um, <laughs> like I, I welled up I was like, it was like a full like mm, mm. Uh, like it was a very it was a, you know it was a moment and that never happens no no and that Tom Holland he just has the, I mean you yeah. know, he has that British actor thing going on where he just like his yeah he can just make emotion happen he's like a little puppy yeah he really is yeah it's adorable um yeah I I, I cried a little bit at the kind of you know uh, big. Mm-hmm. spoiler yeah um and 
uh, and then I cried again yesterday when I uh, watched Guardians of the Galaxy at the very end when uh, Rocket thinks Groot is dead. Oh, yeah. And then I cried again when it's baby Groot in the pot and he's dancing and he's hiding from Drax. Mm. It's like the closing <laughs> thing. Because it's so cute. It makes me cry. I'm excited for more Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I'm excited for um, more Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. And um, mm, I think that's it right now. I will say that one of my favorite throwaway laughs in the whole movie was whenever Rocket is running in Asgard and all the guards are chasing <laughs> him and one of them is like, stop that rabbit! Yeah. I love that it's not just Thor, but to everyone in Asgard, He's a rabbit. <laughs> Rocket yeah. registers as a rabbit. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Rocket is great. Yeah, and that's the kind of that's what I'm talking about. That's like that's like they know all their own references mm-hmm. and they're very and they're fluent in them and they know like when to you when to pull something down from the shelf and be like, oh, let's do a quick like rabbit joke here. Mm-hmm. Like they just know what they're doing. Um, and, and even all the cameos from like other Russo brothers players from like community years, like Ken Jong shows up in a mm-hmm. cameo with that Nicole Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, like yeah, it's just yeah, top to bottom, very very um, top notch production. There was. One inevitable Ingu takedown piece that, that she did circulate. Oh, what was that for? I thought she thought it was good. I thought she thought it was and like a love letter to the fans. She did a takedown sure piece was. about um, basically what she viewed as the hollowness of the um, the part where all the female characters assemble. Um, what she viewed during the fight scene, which she mm. viewed as an empty gesture and too little too late given the t- comically marginal space that Marvel has allotted for female characters mm. um, in the 10 years of the MCU, which is accurate. Yeah. So can't, yeah. can't, can't fight with her about that. No, That's hopefully true. it's a sign of things to come. Yeah. I mean, hopefully they're turning, they're turning the tide. And I mean, frankly, you know, culturally 10 years ago was a very different place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so hopefully they're reacting and responding and being, and being best. Uh, speaking of, of cultural moments, uh, what did you think about uh, Chris Evans? What did you think about? Okay, Steve Rogers. Mm-hmm. Now I can't. I I'm, I need to make sure that I only diss Jeremy Renner with that um, using his real name. <laughs> right. When Steve Rogers is in the kind of like therapy group and mm-hmm. he has that conversation with uh, is it Joe Russo or Anthony Russo who is like comes out like is like oh I went on this date with this guy. Oh, uh, I didn't really. I didn't know that was one of the Russos. It was one of the Russos. Wow. Um, I feel like that was. It's also very small. Mm-hmm. He's not like a, an Avenger. It's very right. But it was also very like yeah, having Captain it being America the affirm, director. Yeah. Have Steve Rogers affirm. Yeah. I mean, Chris Evans in real life has a gay brother. Mm. Um, and and also in real life is like a huge SJW yep. on Twitter. Yep. And so Chris Evans is just a prince. And so I I think he's wonderful, and I'm very glad we have him as like an influential figure in pop culture. Definitely. Right now. And I, I mean, I felt like again for being a very small. Uh, uh, gesture mm-hmm. that it was acted by the director I thought yeah. was pretty uh, gave it more weight yeah um, and was pretty cool yeah that was lovely and how much and how much did you enjoy the Hulk oh man that was hilarious <laughs> I think it was well done I think what you know um, what they did make sense mm-hmm. this sort of compromise right um, and yeah I enjoyed it I thought he would play a bigger part I don't know what's happening to him going forward right yeah. and I want to know what's going to happen with Thor going forward mm-hmm. and the Valkyrie yeah yeah I will say so yeah Tessa Thompson um, one thing one sort of thing that I think was not supposed to be funny that was very funny to me was every time that Tessa Thompson, Tessa Thompson would just fly through the frame on a flying horse. Yep. <laughs> uh, it was because, like, like, the battle at the yeah. end of this scene is more or less a rehash of the battle at the end of Infinity War, but it's even bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And one thing is they add to the kitchen sink bonanza of this battle yeah. is Tessa Thompson on a flying horse. <laughs> and so you're, like, watching, like, 50 other battles happening, and then you just see, like, a flash of her on a horse just, like, whip through the frame. You're like, oh, there she goes. Yeah, it's like suddenly you're, like, a trapper keeper from, like, the 90s. Right, it's a very scene. Lisa Frank moment. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so and that's what she brings to the table, and I'm happy for it. So this one is not the pick of the week, um, but it's still for me a binge. It. it is a binge for me as well. Um, and considering it's the only movie I saw this week, <laughs> it is my pick of the week. <laughs> but I don't get to call that when I've only seen one of them. <laughs> um, it's in theaters now, probably in every every screen in the theater now. Mm-hmm. Um, rated PG-13 for se- sequences of sci-fi violence and action and some language, bringing us to movie number two, which is J.T. Leroy. We'll talk about how confusing that is later. Yeah. A young woman named Savannah Noop spends six years pretending to be the celebrated author J.T. Leroy, the imagined literary persona of her sister-in-law. Jason, uh, you share a very similar name uh, to this movie title, and I think because of that, uh, you should drive. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, so um, 
I don't know about you, but I, I definitely remember when JT Leroy was first becoming a thing mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. And, uh, and I remember very clearly going to the borders in my hometown and going and buying a copy of Sarah, mm. uh, the first novel that was credited to JT. And, um, you know, and it definitely meant a lot to me that there was this, you know, this sort of like queer young writer who was like uber cool and everybody was like, you know, admiring and worshiping and, you know, JT became, you know, giant cause celeb and, you know, had like throngs of celebrities following as every word and as every gesture. And, um, and I do, you know, yeah, I remember starting to hear, I think probably around the time that I was like early years of San Francisco for me, um, you know, that like, oopsie daisy, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. turns out that this was not as it seemed. Uh, and that all of the writing that was attributed to JT Leroy was actually done by an author named Laura Albert. And, um, and that she had actually uh, been working with her sister-in-law, Savannah, uh, to sort of keep this idea going of like, there's a person named JT Leroy. Or like, you know, this was, you know, Laura likes to say it's like her avatar. Um, mm. So, you know, so sort of like long before it became commonplace for people to have like kind of online avatars or, uh, you know, alter egos um, for their creative work. Like that was kind of what Laura was doing here. But of course, many people did not take it as a harmless thing. Mm -hmm. And many uh, kind of viewed it as being deliberately, uh, you know, misleading. Uh, So it's definitely the stuff that you think would make a really interesting movie. And um, and it probably could, but this is not necessarily that. Hmm. Uh, it is uh, so it's it's directed by Justin Kelly, and he co-wrote the screenplay with Savannah. Justin Kelly previously made uh, I Am Michael and King Cobra. He is um, he's sort of a, he's a guy who used to be a big fixture around San Francisco's queer scene. And uh, you know this is a fundamentally quintessentially San Francisco story. It all it all takes place here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we have the story of Savannah, who's played by Kristen Stewart, uh, who comes to San Francisco to live with her brother, uh, Jeff, and his wife, Laura. And Jeff is played by uh, Jim Sturgis, and Laura is played by Laura Dern. <laughs> so it's quite a cast, quite a cast. And um, so yeah, so we have, you know, sort of through Savannah's lens, through Savannah's point of view, uh, we have the story of how she, you know, met Laura and was sort of swept away by Laura's personality and by Laura's writing and uh, and then kind of uh, winds up embodying JT uh, and uh, which you know it was I mean do you remember when all this was happening I think I only found out about it when it was being like debunked mm-hmm. when like the scandal was was coming out right um, and it was like very unclear what was happening right 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 um, and then I didn't really follow it much past that yeah so uh, and this is this is a um, slightly fictionalized version of the story, um, uh, just because there are certain things that they can't really get rights to, um, mm. and uh, one of those things is uh, in real life, uh, Ozzy Argento uh, was one mm. of the uh, most fervent lovers of JT, and she struck a deal with them to turn "The Heart Is Deceitful Above All Things," um, a collection of um, short stories into a movie and uh and that movie was made and uh and it premiered at the Cannes film festival uh but then you know and then and Asia and jt were like slash savannah were like lovers it was this whole thing um and uh but then you know Asia was along with everyone else you know or at least you know Asia publicly presented that she was you know shocked to find out that this mm. was not this was not as it seemed and uh, so in this movie, um, they do a pull a switcheroo, and um, they have a fictionalized version of Asia, who is now played by Diane Kruger, uh, who is, huh. so they make her blonde and French rather than brunette <laughs> and Italian. And, um, and they make an adaptation of Sarah rather than an adaptation mm. of The Heart is Deceitful. So, um, so I, th- I think probably the main problem with this movie is that it is, it plays like a TV movie. Oh, um, okay. It just, it's just not especially a cinematic uh, it is. It plays like an HBO movie on the subject. So, despite having like just a top flight cast, I mean, like, what more you know can you ask for from a cast than Laura Dern, Kristen Stewart, and Diane Kruger? Like, um, so, but I, it does not give them so much to do. Uh, it's a little underwritten. 
and um, and it it has much growth that it could <laughs> it could could stand to embrace in terms of its overall kind of uh, directorial aesthetic. Hmm. So so it's kind of like all right, well, it's just kind of a fairly straightforward TV movie version of this story hmm. um, that happens to have a really incredible cast. Um, also included in that cast is real life JT Leroy acolyte uh, Courtney Love. <laughs> uh, who when I first saw it I thought was playing herself and then I realized later is not playing herself she's playing a producer who is just a just sort of general Hollywood like producer who brings JT down to LA to like throw a big party to introduce him to like all the big players in town mm. to all fight over his properties um, and uh, and then he's accompanied by so Laura Albert um, can f- went around with JT at all of his events and frequently spoke for him in the form of a whole different character, a British publicist named Speedy. Um, so, uh, so, so Speedy is there with JT at all these things. And Laura Dern looks like she's having a ball uh, <laughs> playing the Speedy bits. Um, so, uh, and it's very funny that Courtney Love agreed to do this movie possibly only if she could be somebody who figures it out really soon. <laughs> um, because uh, she, uh, in this movie, within seconds of like her coming on screen and meeting JT and Speedy, uh, she's already like giving these like side eye looks at Speedy, like what's your deal? <laughs> it's like, oh, Courtney. Um, people who so a better film to watch about all this whole subject is a documentary called Author: The JT Leroy Story, um, which is like Laura Alberts, like full um, like official sanctioned authorized documentary um, in which she plays just tons and tons of uh, of archival audio uh of um of phone conversations that she had with any number of people throughout the whole thing because oh, La- wow. laura was always the voice of jt so any interview that jt did with the phone laura was doing that mm. um and um and she she plays a number of phone conversations with courtney love including conversations with courtney after um the news came out um in which courtney is uh, it literally is like Oh wait, hang on. I just needed. To, I just need to blow this huge rail. Um, <laughs> and, and Laura is like, okay. Wow. And then you hear, like listen to Courtney like just do a long line, and then she's like, okay. So uh, as I was saying, right? Okay. So I think this is all fine. Like, who cares? Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say just like write this. Like, okay, now you write this. Now this is the story you write. Oh my god, um, that's amazing. I feel like these you need to watch them both. No. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, you know, if if you're drawn in by the cast of JT Leroy the movie, um then uh and you go see it then yeah i think if you want to like see the actual story then author is the story to watch um and uh, and of course when i was talking earlier about my connection to it there is our our similarities in name um i am jc Leroy. Mm -hmm. those are my initials um and uh so of course i always felt that connection to it and um and then to the point where like as i've requested like a link to this so we could watch it and review it they were like the publicist was like only if you prove your kin and i was like what uh oh because i keep forgetting i always forget that my name is like literally that name so it's been a surreal time even a number of years ago i interviewed justin kelly um for the movie i am michael that starred james franco and um and he was working on this movie at the time and he was like spooked um, whenever I showed up and he was like hi I'm like hi I'm Jason Leroy and he's like is that your real name I'm like yeah why and he's like oh my god um, he's like he's like I'm working on a movie about the whole JT Leroy thing right now and whenever I'm in San Francisco like oh my god people come out the woodwork and I'm like oh okay um, and he's like so when I saw your name on the press list today I was like fuck and I shouldn't come along and call, have them call me speedy right. was... you're like and I'm his publicist seedy <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah that, that, that's, that's, we'll take that show on the road but where does Chloe Sevigny fit into all this is this really my question it's a great question um, it does feel like this is the movie she should be in right um, uh, but, and I think she was probably a, a real life JT friend but, uh, but she, she... I feel like she would have been like V1 of of real life JT I, know, I could see her I doing know. this this has I think, seven you written all over it I think that she I think I think Chloe would have been in some ways a better actor to play JT in this movie mm. but she's just too like the thing about Kristen Stewart of course is that she's like very petite and um, yeah. and you know Chloe Sevigny has like a very like tall like striking statuesque figure and Kristen Stewart can much can play androgynous better so I think that's probably 
the issue there. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I mean, this is it, this doesn't really give its its you know actors so much to play with. Whatever happened to Hillary Swank? <laughs> she's still out there doing stuff yeah yeah i think she's yeah she's she she just yeah she's you know the world's as we always always say the world's you know worst two-time oscar winner (laughs) Uh, she just can't catch a break that one but uh but yeah so uh so yeah so it's it it, it's it it is what it is um it it's you know it's not probably i don't think it'll be remembered as the definitive version of this story um, and, uh, anyone who's interested in, in getting a, a fuller picture of it would be well advised to, uh, to watch author the JT Leroy story. Um, so you're giving this a, it's a consume consume. Uh, it's unrated, but would be R for nudity, sexuality, and language. That brings us to our third movie, which is hail Satan, our <laughs> pick of the week with unprecedented access. Hail Satan traces the rise of the satanic temple. Only six years old and already one of the most controversial religious movements in American history. The temple and its enigmatic (laughs) leader, Lucian Graves, are calling for a satanic revolution to save the nation's soul. But are they for real? Jason will tell you. (laughs) I am so excited to hear about this and we'll be seeing it very soon. Um, Here we have a documentary about the uh, satanic temple. And their existence uh, as a catalyst to questioning our religious ideas of, of religion in America. Mm-hmm. Yes, and this is a documentary directed by a woman named Penny Lane, and that is her real name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, this is this is a movie that I did um, when I watched this the other night. I did invite our uh, our dear friend Beth to watch it with mm-hmm. me because mm-hmm. she is a Satanist, and, uh, and I wanted to get her take on it. And uh, yeah, and this is just a really kind of rollicking, fun documentary. Um, so I think the first thing, you know, it's important to unpack a few things about like modern Satanism and what it actually means and what it does not mean, what it is, what it is not. Uh, so most modern Satanism and, and even most historical Satanism um, is not theistic. Mm. Um, most most satanism has not been about actually believe even believing in satan let alone worshiping satan mm-hmm. um it's presented in this film it's framed as sort of a more organized passionate form of atheism mm-hmm. where it's like not only like where they're like they're not content to just be atheists they think that's boring they're like mm-hmm. we need to we like they're like we like the the idea of being the adversary uh of of um of Christian supremacy, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and as as you mentioned in the description, um, the Satanic Temple. So it's that's specifically the group this movie is about. It's not about the Church of Satan at large. Mm-hmm. It's about the Satanic Temple, and um, so Satanic Temple in particular emerged fairly recently to essentially act as trolls. I love um, it to to just hilariously troll the Christian right, um, and to just antagonize and oppose. Um, all forms of Christian supremacy in America, and uh, and really to just advocate for religious pluralism, uh, which is what the country is meant to be about, mm-hmm. uh, and to you know and so in one form of doing that, essentially any place where there is a clear example of um, of Christian supremacy, um, you know, depicted through um, sort of a Christian viewpoint getting preferential treatment or a Christian designation being assigned to something that is related to the government or taxpayer funded, whether that be public schools, whether that be monuments in front of, you know, courthouses, they're like, okay, well, let's go. Um, (laughs) And, um, you know, and one of the, you know, and they, they, they become probably best known for their ongoing opposition to um, 10 commandment monuments. Mm Um, which they uh, which they constantly sue to be able to display a statue of Baphomet, <laughs> a demon, uh, next to the Ten Commandments statue. I'm picturing like this, like um, like that uh, Thurgood Marshall movie where he's like just gets in the car, like you're just like some ACLU like lawyer, right. but it's like a bunch of goatees uh, <laughs> just getting hopping in like. A van right. and then just like going to the next, and like women with purple hair and corsets yeah. and drags, all <laughs> a lot piling of go- goth malls. Yeah, um, exactly. Just a lot of hot topic folks <laughs> just piling into a dark van and being like, "Let's do this." <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so I mean, like, in and it's it's sort of like what what the what the Satanic Temple does is vital. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because like, I think that, you know, if left unchecked, uh, you know, like we've all seen it happen, you know, like this, this idea that, you know, that Christianity is actually the true religion of America and that, uh, and that it's meant to, uh, be reflected in our laws. It's meant to be reflected in our, um, you know, our values is meant it's on our paper. It's so, you know, and, and now more than ever, uh, you know, we see that being represented in very aggressive, mm. uh, ways that really attack the rights of others, uh, in the name of, uh, of this religion that, and it's all, you know, just very counter to what the constitution says, separation of church and state, pluralism, just the actual values, mm-hmm. um, on which the country, uh, was founded. So, this movie really makes you root for the Satanists. Uh, you really, always, I really, really I'm, cheering, always am. really cheering them on, and um, and so it's it's sort of it's you know it's a story that does the usual documentary thing of like kind of balancing this ongoing chronicle of them being out there just like taking on different um, you know uh, oppositions. Of them picking different fights <laughs> with, <laughs> with different with different religious dummies or grandstanding religious politicians, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then also just sort of trying to contextualize what Satanism has meant historically, um, and you know they they run through like the seven tenets of the Satanic Temple, and there's not a single one of them that any reasonable person would ever disagree with. Sure. Um, so I mean, I think the, the movie is borderline satanist propaganda <laughs> I, mean, I think that's something that like beth was saying that she was reading on 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 satanist twitter uh, <laughs> uh was uh, they, they apparently like yeah satanist twitter actually thinks the movie is like not critical enough mm. of of the satanic church and that like it doesn't acknowledge um various shortcomings that it has in terms of like um, sort of like racism and sexism, mm-hmm. you know, because obviously when, you know, like you would not be mistaken if you, if you assume that it's mostly white men from Oregon. Uh, yeah. It's a lot of, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, yeah. You know, it's a lot of goatees as yeah. you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and uh, so there's been, yeah, there's been criticism that it doesn't, you know, take on some of the struggles that the church is facing and, um, and that it might be too, almost too glorifying um, of mm. the church at the end of the day. And, uh, and, you know, it was, it was funny for me to be watching it and reviewing it, you know, because like I do identify as Christian and I do have a background, um, of evangelical Christianity. And so, you know, it, it, watching it, I couldn't help but have that line from the devil's advocate running through my head where it's like <laughs> Satan's greatest trick was convincing the world. He didn't <laughs> exist. Uh, and I was like, this is that exactly. Uh, I like I mean, just, a, just a bunch of secular humanists standing around being like, oh, we call ourselves Satanists, but we don't believe in Satan and we have good messages. You should all follow. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, it's insidious. <laughs> um, have you ever looked at monster energy drink? Right. <laughs> <laughs> 666 and the laughs. Oh, oh my god, I just watched that video this week. Have you ever seen that one? Which one? Oh my god, it's like it was this amazing YouTube video from maybe like six years ago now, and it's like some convention, and the, there's like a woman behind a booth, and she's ex- she has this whole all these like things uh, to support her claim that Monster Energy Drink is uh, Satan. Oh, is this is this the person who sits behind the table? It's like change my mind. Yeah, well, no, 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 no. That's oh, that's more meme. recently. Different this is meme. like a total. Um, let me talk to your manager, oh, uh, mom, and she's like, okay. okay, see these like the monsters. These are if you take this to Hebrew, this is six six six. And then she was like, see they have a cross, and then the cross is in the O. What company? And it's like it's called Unleash the Beast. Who's the beast? Satan. And there's this part where she's just like, <laughs> and when you turn it upside down, you take a drink. It says it's an upside down oh cross, god. and the devil laughs. It's the funniest. Oh my god, funniest okay. video. And this is not Dana Carvey as the church lady. No, but you would it's think. Like, is it? Satan? <laughs> very similar. Oh, very similar. Oh, that sounds amazing. I'll have to look that up. Um, it's a it's a classic one before you realize Oof. how much people actually do Gematria online. Yeah, well, and that's part of like what I was thinking watching this movie was I was like, this movie is assuming that m- the average person is way smarter than they are. Uh, because I think that the movie assumes that people can keep up with kind of the the high meta conceptual level of what the satanic temple is doing mm, and saying mm, because mm-hmm. you know they're calling themselves satanists they are having black masses in which they worship satan they say hail satan but they don't mean any of it um it is all a gesture that is meant to sort of like deconstruct the traditional mm-hmm. organized church service um and you know and really it is just 
um, sort of a philosophical moral framework through which to challenge Christian supremacy in America. Um, and, uh, you know, in but then that is, that's kind of, that's kind of a high, that's kind of a high concept. Does it, ex- does it explain it well? I think it explains it pretty well, but I think it also assumes a certain level of intelligence in the viewer that if you're watching this movie that you probably are going to be able to keep up with this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, I just, I'm, I was just picturing, like, I never want to assume anything about the average American viewer. No, um, no. And so, like, I can imagine, you know, people watching this and, yeah, possibly having the wrong idea. Um, Interesting. Or, you know. But at the same time, it also, the movie delves into the whole, like, the 80s and 90s era of satanic panic. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. Um, which I never heard that term before, but as, as soon as they said it, I was like, oh, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just, like, show you all the, the clips of, like, Geraldo and, like, all, all the different, like, because it was a real thing. And, of course, there was, like, the West Memphis Three. There was Damien Eccles. Yep. There was, you know. Um, you know and at we, the same time, right now, you have what is clearly a trend of people on 8chan uh, being, uh, you know, feeding into this idea of um murdering people that don't that aren't christian and that's not causing any sort of panic right yeah no exactly uh so and this is and that's part of the you know and that's that's part of why it really is uh it feels like such a great cause that cynic temple is advocating because at the end of the day uh there has not been um you know (laughs) just looking at the numbers uh obviously Murders carried out by Christians for Christian reasons, so-called mm-hmm. Christian reasons, wildly outnumber oh, right. mm-hmm. any any murders that were ever uh, carried out by anybody claiming to be doing Satan's work. Right. It was pretty much just like the Manson family. Yeah, just that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was just a bad one. I mean, it, it was uh, bad. It was bad. Let's be clear. We're not minimizing like, that. Uh, but uh, but yeah. So was... It's a really, uh, yeah, so this is, and, and it is relatively a new church. Um, but uh, But yeah, this movie definitely makes you want to like join their numbers. And, uh, and I personally wouldn't because I'm not an atheist, but I very much appreciate what they're doing. And I think that it's very needed. And I I was delighted uh, watching their story. Uh, so what I'm hearing is that you're an atheist and possibly a Satanist and that <laughs> you are giving this a binge it and it's the pick of the week. It's well, unrated, <laughs> um, but it would probably be R for graphic nudity, language, uh, disturbing imagery, and the ability to convert Jason into a card-carrying Satanist. Oh, I should have written ritualistic violence on this one. <laughs> you really should have. It's the one it should have mattered. There is kind of some. Oh, man. Ugh, so close. Mm. Also, the people... Okay, anyway. I'm done. I'm done. I mean, even like serial killers aren't Satanists. They're just like right. domestic mental, violence yeah. and like right. And there's, uh, usually, and there's mental illness. Yes. And yeah. This is, there's not because of like an articulated belief system no. that involves any That's satanic principles. Right. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's it. That's it. That's it. You Satanist. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's show Jason you have exciting news about where you can find the binge yes guys as of right now um, if you happen to be uh, a Spotify user and if you enjoy listening to other content on Spotify aside from music the binge movie podcast is now on Spotify so go ahead on Spotify and hit follow on our page and uh, and whenever we have a new episode it'll send it your way and uh, and you can just keep all your music and your podcast in that one spot I feel like that's a big win for all of the non iPhone users because it exactly. would always have to go to like Stitcher which is nonsense Ugh. or something else yeah and I know, like pod be- well yeah all the different quote unquote pod catchers like this this will hopefully resolve that so yeah so for all you all you non-iphone users out there and you've used spotify now you have an easy place to listen to the show and mm-hmm. i don't i don't know if they do ads for podcasts i would think not because they don't like there's no money involved Mm-mm. so no. hopefully you can just listen to the podcast without any ads too yeah and um you can just seamlessly go between beyonce's homecoming to here and mm. then uh, back again right uh very excited about that J- they jason Jason, thank you for um, setting that up. You're welcome. You are on Twitter at Excess Baggage. I'm at Fight Balance. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Bye bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.